Hi everyone, welcome back to our latest Tap Talks HR podcast. This time I'm really pleased to have Nick Butcher with me, um, who is the founder of Shen Yi Group, um, which specialises in kind of like engaging people in a very macro way. And this is what we're going to talk about today. Um, and Nick's got some great experience over the years in the reward space for places like Tesco, Poundland, etc. Hi Nick, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. So we've been talking a little bit before we came on live here. A little bit. bit. A little bit, <laughs> exactly. And um, talking about taking that experience from from your experience in reward and actually looking at the bigger people strategy and actually what are the drivers to to make engagement work inside of a, a business so give us a, a little flavor about what you think businesses should be looking at from a very macro level and then we'll have a chat that's a it's a really good question um i think realistically i mean if we go back to to looking you know, right from a people strategy as opposed to a reward strategy Personally, there's very little difference between the two because any strategy that affects your people will clearly have to involve every aspect of reward anyway. You know, reward touches, it isn't just pay, it isn't just benefits, it's how you treat people, it's how you perceive the staff that you've got. And I think to, to make those kind of things successful, it is around recognising your people not in a traditional you know, recognition award type thing. It's understanding who you employ uh, and having a vision of the kind of people you want to employ to make your business successful. So, so, so talk to me a little bit more about the kind of people you want to employ. How, how would, I suppose, how would you be able to affect that? Um, in, I mean, the simplest way is, is if we look at the uh, sort of fixed pay to variable pay ratio. And, and as a really quick example, if you are a sales business what kind of people what kind of salesman do you want do you want people to sell loads of new product to new clients if you do you increase the incentive plan and lower the base pay however if you want them to treat their existing clients better with a higher service level you increase the base pay and lower the incentive plan now that's a really simplistic view but it's something on a on a basic fundamental level it's that. It's understanding what you want at the end of the day. Most of it is behavioural, and a lot of different reward tools and benefits will change behaviour. Even just having company core values that actually people can understand what it means to them will encourage different behaviours. And if you get that right, then you've got an engaged workforce. And I think that's the interesting bit about reward, isn't it? That actually you are trying to change behaviour, and behaviour is at the core of a culture of a business so so what do you think how do you think businesses need to to approach their 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 cultures at the moment their behaviors what do you think businesses need to do differently or think differently <laughs> they they need to know what they want you know i mean we were talking for a, a bit before we started doing the podcast and i will go back to other references i used then around as this goes out relatively soon after we're recording it we're all sat at home in the evenings watching the news around the Brexit plan. And it is knowing, if you look at how Parliament is behaving at the moment, they're voting everything down because they know what they don't want, but they don't actually know what they do want. And from a rewards or from an engagement perspective, it's the same with a lot of businesses. They don't want people to turn up late. They don't want people to be lazy. They want people, oh, actually, 
we don't really know what kind of people we do want. And that is the biggest issue. The biggest thing that I talk to clients and people around is how they can actually have a strategy that values what they want to value as a business. And if a business doesn't know that, if they don't have a vision of, of what they want at the end of the day, of what type of employee they want, of how they want their people to interact with the business, then they're never going to get what they want. So, so, so I, I can, I can, I'm visualising here all the time I've worked in HR and everything about all the policies and, and procedures inside of and the voluminous amounts. And quite often it is very much around we want you to avoid this behaviour rather than we want you to emulate this other type of behaviour. And I think that does come back to vision and values. Maybe organisations are too stuck in having a vision that's just financially based? Uh, yeah, predominantly, I, th I think you're right. And what I would say is actually, if you get the engagement right, if you get the right service levels and encourage the right behaviours from your people, the bottom line grows anyway. You know, that's a additional profit or additional sales is a byproduct, in my opinion, of treating people the way they want to be treated. The trick is understanding how everyone wants to be treated. And that's different for most people. And it's understanding and, and getting to know your people and recognizing what makes them tick. So here's a question for you. How do you recognize your people and understand what makes them tick? Gamberism. <laughs> okay. in a simple, it's a simple answer. It's something I learned a few years ago um, working for an Anglo-Japanese company. Um, I mean, most people know what gamber means now because they use it on Mazda car adverts. Uh, it, it actually is it's a Japanese word for being in the place. And it's, it's based on the philosophy that in order to understand your people, you need to be your people. And in order to be them, you need to be where they are. In simple terms, it actually suggests that people, uh, an HR professional, I hesitate saying this because I don't know who your audience is, <laughs> get out of the office a bit more. You know, if you've got multiple sites, go and visit multiple sites. But don't just go when you've got a meeting there. Go casually purely to talk to the people who work at all your different locations. The more often you do that, the more of a social relationship you build up with people and they will trust you. They will open up to you, they'll be honest with you and you will be able to get a far better view of what makes them tick, of what's important to them and why they work where they work in order for them to put that into a strategy which will recognise those behaviours if they're the ones you want. And what what if you had the counter-argument saying, well, why do I need to go out and be with my people? Because actually we have engagement surveys, we do pulse surveys, we do continuous listening. We do. Um, the vast majority of companies still have an annual survey, um, which if you don't go out and people don't know who you are from a head office perspective... That's their one time a year to smack you in the face for, for not going to see them or ignoring them, which is their perception. It's not necessarily true, but that will be their perception. So the answers you get on anything um, en masse uh, will always be different to the answers you get on an individual basis when you're sat having a coffee or a, for those of us who are still uh, antisocial, have a cigarette in the smoking area. Okay, and so would you say there's no place for an engagement survey? No, uh, no, 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 no. I mean, there are some brilliant surveys out there now. There are some different measures that people are looking at. 
and data analysis is is key to that rather than just do the survey you know make sure that you've got someone who actually knows how to interpret that data there is nothing worse than looking at survey information saying well these people say everything's really really good these people say everything's really really bad but we don't really know about them because he's always he doesn't make that much effort and they're not that good at their job what you should be looking at in a survey is the free text because if you leave boxes for free text then the people who make the effort to write something in that actually mean it they're not just ticking down the middle you know most surveys still have an odd number of responses on a multiple choice it's easy just to go right down the middle whereas actually if you ask someone a question face to face they can't not answer it. They will always give you an answer and the more trust they have in you and the more they get to know you just by seeing you in their location, they're more likely to open up and not only give you an answer, but tell you why that answer is what they're saying. So, so actually, my, my interpretation of what you just said to me is there's, what you need is different methods of finding out how your people feel and actually if you have multiple methods and you put a bit of scientific rigour yeah. behind it, then actually you can compare and contrast yeah. to make sure what's true and what's not so true. I think you're absolutely right. And, you know, there's nothing to stop people lying. <laughs> you know, not everyone is 100% honest all the time. Um, but, yeah, I think if you, you know, I'm, I certainly wouldn't say replace paper or online surveys and never do them again. Mm. Um but actually, you need to take every survey you do and even every conversation you do, you need to take it with a pinch of salt unless you have absolute faith in the people that you're talking to or getting the survey from that you implicitly trust that they will be a completely open and honest answer. And I suppose that's the thing, isn't it? Because if someone's not giving you an open and honest answer in a survey, then actually you need to be questioning why. why? Absolutely. <laughs> And yeah. that, that comes back to the most fundamental thing, which is trust inside of organisations, that, that you need to have almost like the hygiene factor of trust and then build on that. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree with you. It is around employer trust and no one, certainly in my belief, no one is going to trust their employer from day one. Um, they may think they're a great company to work for, which is why they actually want to go and work there. And some people that have been in businesses in the same position for a long period of time may well have changed their opinion of, of how their employer treats them and what, how much they trust their employer. But we are all in HR. And the human part of that human resources is what we should be concentrating on. You trust people before you trust organizations. And you know, to use another sort of slightly aside, you know, working in reward, I work with a hell of a lot of different suppliers for benefits, for platforms, for pensions, all of the stuff that we have to deal with on a daily basis. And actually, the ones I tend to use are ones where I have a better, almost more social relationship and trust the people that I'm talking to. So before I trust an organization, it's the people, because that's your first point of contact. And that's the same with an employer. If you trust the people you speak to and interact with, either your line managers or visitors from a head office situation, you will build up that relationship and it's easier then to want to trust the company because you trust 
the people that you're talking to. That doesn't mean that you always give them the nice answers and you only speak to them if it's good things. Actually, you get more trust by being honest and saying why something isn't going to work than you do just by going out and saying, good news, we're giving you this. You know, it's, it's having that balance, but it's around personal interaction and trust before you can lead on to in trust in your employer. So, so as a, a HR a business leader, from what you've been saying, we need to get out there, we need to be talking to our individuals, I suppose, therefore, we then need to have a mechanism of getting what we hear and see back into the decision-making process of what we do to help our employees. You're absolutely right. And you know, if you look at the standard traditional HR setup, you'll have HR business partners, as most people refer to them now as, who are out on the road most of the time visiting people and looking at that day-to-day interaction between your people and your HR teams. But actually, how involved do you then get those people in a strategy? You know, they are seen in a lot of organisations as relatively junior roles. So what they gain from that interaction and what they, the trust that they have in and from the people that they interact and meet with isn't necessarily then taken from them and say, right, guys, you know, you've been out on the road. What are people thinking? This is what we want to do as a strategy. How do you think that will be perceived? Do you think that's important to people? You know, I think that part of it is missing. And you can write the best strategy in the world. It isn't going to work or make your business more successful unless it's engaged from the very outset with your people and ties back in again to the first point you raised about having a vision of what you want at the end of the day. You would never get in your car and follow your sat-nav and complain when you get lost when actually you haven't put a destination in. How is that different to employing people, putting a strategy in and getting the business results you want? So it's almost like you put your strategy together, but actually it's then how do you communicate and what's the narrative to every single individual in your business in a way that they would they would engage with it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And it's... I would never tell people that you need to write a a people strategy or a reward strategy from my point of view and then go out and engage with people the first part of any strategy that I write is that vision and it almost goes into an employee covenant of you know what we expect from our people and what we will give our people in exchange for that and starting with that you then have an idea of where you want to be longer term so as you go through you know, what do we want to do for basics? Is our structure right? Is our governance right? Once we've got those right, we can move on to the core market position if that's what we want to look at. Then you're looking at core pay and core benefits. And then you're looking at elements of additional voluntary or flexible stuff. And then at the same time as all of that, you're looking at recognition programs. And that's social recognition, which is absolutely no cost. Just thanking someone for doing a good job. And going out from the office and thanking someone out in the field for doing a good job rather than just emailing and saying, oh, someone told me you did a good job. You know, all of this interaction will will actually inform where the strategy goes by the time you finish there. So by the time you write a strategy, and with anything you write, it's still going to be a long 18 months, two years, probably minimum to implement everything and embed it, you already know it's going to be successful. Because at every stage of creating it, you've taken that feedback, 
and you understand how people are going to perceive what you're doing. And that's really, that's really interesting because um, so what we're saying is to get to building a strategy, be it a reward strategy, people strategy, almost like the groundwork is understanding your people and the feedback. Yep. And it's almost like whether you believe in the term or not, that being very explicit about a psychological contract. Yeah, you're absolutely. Saying, what what yeah, we're I'm going to give you, you're going to give me. I refer that as a, an employee covenant, but psychological contract yeah, is clearly your study and for your master's. <laughs> I'm not. Um, I, I but, put some big words in. Yeah. No, you just keep them coming. <laughs> but yes, that's that's exactly right. And and if you don't get that right, or if you ignore it, then again, there's a big hole in what you're going to try and do because you don't know what you're expecting, and they really don't know what they're going to get for what you expect. And it's this, there has to be an honesty. You know, there has to be a real level of honesty that maybe historically hasn't been there between you know, the leaders of businesses and their people across all levels. Mm. And, you know, what you tend to find is people concentrate on looking after the roles or the people they perceive if they left or if you couldn't recruit them maybe would damage the business mm. actually yes I get that but actually the people you can employ still cost a lot of money to train and recruit and retain and if you get them on board they will add to the business exponentially they will come up with ideas they will suggest as they get to know you how you can improve what they do and what their peers do and what their managers do and they won't be doing that maliciously. They'll be doing that out of a sense of, I want to be better than I am. I want to do more than I do. I want the business to be successful because if the business is successful, I'm successful. You need to trust them, but you need to build that level of trust up over time. And I think, and I mean, we're getting towards the end of the podcast already. Um, it's uh, the time flies. You just have to do two then. <laughs> well, well, that's an idea. We can come back for another one. But I think the the idea of retention. I mean, that's a, another subject there that, that we haven't got time to go into today. But what I'm getting from this this conversation is actually a reward strategy. In my experience, of reward strategies are very quite often quite isolated things where people go and talk to reward vendors but actually it's an integral part of a much bigger complex system from motivation yeah. to engagement to I, customer to I think you you're absolutely right and you know I I will I would never correct you but I will go back <laughs> on something say actually retention strategy is the same as what we've already been talking about it becomes a by better retention becomes a byproduct of treating people right mm and understanding what they need and what they aspire to. And they're things that get left out of most strategies. They shouldn't. Mm. You know, you can use any benefit to motivate people differently if you slant how it's done. Even just the communication style of it makes a completely different perception from the end user point or from the people point of view. Um, but yeah, fundamentally, you're right. If you, if you try and do stuff in isolation, it won't embed properly and it won't be successful and you spend far too much money investing in areas that actually had you started with the right approach you would know is pointless spending that money mm. so, so I mean reward engagement motivation all complex levers that can change the level of trust and engagement people the individual yep. has in the workforce absolutely and I, th I think where and, and I may be biased because I've I've worked in rewards uh, in various levels for the last 20 years, uh, so I am very biased because I love what I do. But actually, reward 
is probably the one specialist area that touches almost everything that your employees either do, have, get, or are. We would look after their environment. How you, how you just get people in, how you thank them, how you pay them, how you value them, how you address them, how you communicate to them, all of these things, and even how you train them and recruit them, all of these things can be really easily influenced by reward. Don't just put an ad out, I'm not a recruiter, I'll hold my hands up then, I've worked <laughs> some great ones, but I wouldn't want to do that. But actually, how you put that ad in, come and work for us, we're brilliant. Or do you put, come and work for us, we'll pay you shed loads, or come and work for us, we'll treat you really well. All of those bits that aren't just come and work for us are part of reward. Mm. We touch almost every aspect of people's working lives and where we should be concentrating on in the future is not just touching their working lives but opening that out to what I've referred to as social reward and actually affect their personal lives as well. What can we give them? How can we treat them that improves their lives away from work as much as it does at work? Because if you get that, you then have an absolutely trusting, loyal, engaged, and motivated workforce. Well, I think we've just found out the title of our second podcast, which is going to be Social <laughs> Rewards, whatever that might be. But our time is up, Nick. So thank you ever so much for your view on actually your experience of reward and actually how it touches on the wider HR. I think it's been really interesting. Thank it's you. It's been an absolute pleasure. No worries at all. And thanks, everyone, yet again for listening to our Tap Talks HR podcast. I hope you found it insightful as much as I did today. And if you have any comments or feedback, then please do reach out to us at Tap Solutions. You can find our other podcasts there. You can find our blogs. You can find out how you can attend one of our forums as well. Um, Well, thanks, Nick. And um, until next time, everyone.